how do I know and walk in God's will for me in my everyday life? Have you ever asked that kind of stuff before? Have you ever mulled over that before? I bet you have. I bet some of you are right there right now. And if not, you one day will be. You'll be faced with a decision and you're going to try to figure out, okay, okay, Lord, what's your plan for me here? Like, what are you up to? Like, I would love for you to come and just tell me, maybe like, like if it would be all possible, like give me this burning bush moment, like that would be awesome, but, but probably that's not going to happen. So what's God's will? How do we discern that? Now, maybe some of you have heard it said this way, maybe in, in thinking about it, maybe you were reading about it or hearing about this before from other pastors or, or whatever. Now, maybe you need to be in the center of God's will. Have you heard that kind of phrasing before? You need to be in the center of God's will. Anybody willing to, to say that they've even used that kind of phrasing before? And I've heard that statement a couple times, and, and, and it really kind of leaves me thinking, and it, it makes me wondering about that statement. Like, is there really a center of God's will? Is there really a center? And if there is, is the periphery, like, less God's will than the center of God's will? Does that make sense? Like, when I made the move out here in July to come and join you uh, to be the associate pastor here at Nazareth, like, was that God's will for my life? Or would I have not been in God's will for my life if I said no to this call and instead moved to Southern California? Okay? Like, is DeWitt, Iowa, really the center of God's will for my life? And if you keep pulling on that thread a little more, maybe some of you are wrestling with this. Because when I was younger, I was always afraid to get out of God's will too early. And I was, like, paralyzed by that. Like, like it was some kind of journey on a train or something like that. And if I got off at the wrong stop, am I just kind of doomed forever? Do you know what I'm talking about? If I just get off too early, are you still in God's will? If, if I don't go to the right college, if I don't get into the right career, if I don't marry the right person, if I get out of the will of God back here, am I like doomed forever? Is there kind of like a ripple effect that's going to affect every other decision and, and, and situation and relationship in my life? Like, 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 Andrew, you should have checked the box, yes, when Carissa asked you back in fifth grade if, if you liked her. Because, man, that was, that was your one chance at wedded bliss. And you missed it altogether, and you're, like, screwed for the rest of your life. Like, you know, is that, is that, like, the will of God? Is that how it works? If you get off track, is there any way to get back on track? Have you ever wondered about that? Or is God's will more like horseshoes? Like, you just keep throwing, and, and you kind of get close once in a while, but no worries, because you get many more tries, and you just keep chucking it down there, and, and occasionally, by God's grace, you finally get a ringer, and then you're starting to think, like, well, how in the world did I do that? What did I do differently? And you're like, I don't know. Is that, is that the will of God? Is that how it works? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. I invite you to have your Bibles. You can grab them right there in front of you. Otherwise, the words will be up there on the screen. And we're going to ask that question. Like, what's the will of God? Because I think there's some great insight into how we can discern the will of God and, and, and really see what God longs for us and how God longs for us to live this side of eternity in the situations and the locations and the relationships of everyday life. Okay? Let's look at this. Uh, verse 12 says this. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-shaped journey away. Now, first of all, the reason why they returned to Jerusalem is because Jesus just said to them, 
that they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so they go to Jerusalem first. So first and foremost, if you want to know the will of God then for your life, be obedient to the things that you're supposed to do. Be obedient to the things that you're supposed to do. That's huge. For some of you here this morning, that's all you need to know. That's all you need to hear. You can't expect God to give you something specific about your life if you're not trying to follow the general revelation that he's clearly laid out for all the rest of us right here in his word. You, you want to know the will of God is for your life? The Bible teaches that his will for you is that you would love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you love your neighbor as yourself. Just start with the basics. Just start there. And then maybe God will start to reveal something very specific to you. Have, you. have you read the Bible lately? Have you read the Bible? I mean, there's a ton of stuff in there and how he calls for us to live and to act and to interact in this world. So start there. Search the scriptures. <coughs> Search the scriptures. They are the supreme authority. The word of God is the supreme authority for faith and conduct that we have in this life. But if you know the story here in Acts 1, if you know this story, you know that what these guys are about to do is not something really found anywhere in Scripture, if you know what's about to happen. There's no specific chapter and verse about how to pick another apostle. It's like you can't just go there and say, okay, here's the steps, and if I just follow these steps, I'm good. So how do they do this? This has never been done before this very moment, and hasn't been done since. Okay, Jesus did it. Okay, that's, that's fair. But they're not Jesus, right? And so how do we go about doing this? I've read the book from cover to cover. It's not in there. So maybe some of you here this morning are right where these apostles are. You're right there in the same boat. You're kind of you're right there. Sure, there's tons of specific verses that apply in so many areas of our life, but what about the times when we're faced with something and the Bible is unclear about it. You ever face that? And it seems kind of open-ended in how we can respond in any given situation. What then? Do we have any guidance? Or are we just left guessing and hoping that it just kind of all works out? Well, let's keep reading. Because I think the text starts to answer that question for us. And so keep reading here in verse 13. So they returned to Jerusalem, and it says, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, and where they were staying, and Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. That's not, that's not Judas Iscariot. He's gone, okay? Um, and all these were with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. These guys weren't just saying their prayers they were devoting themselves to prayer. Man's Road, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? We're devoted to all kinds of things, aren't we? You really get devoted to the things that you're super into. And I'm not going to ask what you're devoting yourselves to. I'm not going to, that can get really awkward. But I am going to ask, I am going to ask, are you devoting yourselves to I'll be honest with you, um, Pastor all confession time. I fall short here. Anybody else willing to admit that? My level of responsibility in the kingdom 
far outweighs my prayer life. And, and as one of your pastors, I need to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry. But like me, have you ever noticed you really get devoted to prayer when you need something? Like, like these apostles, right? It starts to get kind of shaky for them. Take these apostles, for example. Their rabbi just died. Their messiah, their savior just died. He rose again, and he floated up into heaven, and now he says to them, okay, it's on you guys. And they're like, okay, golly, we need to get our prayers on. Like, we got we to gotta start praying here. And the answer of, what are you devoted to? Have you ever thought about this before? Have you ever thought that maybe the Lord allows you to go through times of uncertainty and really hard times because those are the only times you're devoted to? Never mind about that. Like the only times you tend to draw near to the Lord is when you're desperate and in need and in trouble. And maybe God's not answering your prayer right away because he knows that as soon as he does, you'll move away from him. And why in the world would he give you something that moves you away from him, and so instead he lets it persist so that it actually draws you closer to you? Think about that. This might mess you up. But have you ever thought that the thing that's got you all freaked out enough to pray is actually God's grace upon you in that season of your life? And not his displeasure? These guys are devoted to prayer. And did you notice the other thing that verse 14 says? It says, all these with one accord. In other words, the result of being rooted in prayer is unity. Because prayer is a posture of admitting that you don't know it all, that you don't have it all together. This, this is, it's, it's very humbling, in fact. Um, this is free of charge here this morning. Um, hey, husbands, wives, <coughs> do you ever have a marriage problem? I'm not saying this is the cause of it, but one thing you can do is start checking your prayer life. Because you have a prayer problem. Parents having a hard time raising your kids. Kids having a hard time honoring your parents. Having a hard time with employees or your employer at work. Check your prayer life. Check your prayer life. Maybe before you set up a time to talk with me and pray that you actually go before the Lord and devote yourself to a season of prayer and to see what God does in your relationships. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? Devote yourselves to prayer. It's interesting that in Colossians 4, the Apostle Paul, after addressing all of these life priorities, if you notice, we've gone in Colossians 3 here for a little bit for a lot of these life priorities, and he talks about God, and he talks about the spouse, and he talks about parenting, and kids honoring their parents, and then he talks about the work life, and then after all of that, in Colossians 3, in Colossians 4, verse 2, he, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes this, further instructs us to continue steadfastly in what? Prayer. And that's what we see the Apostles doing here. And they wrote, if you think your prayer life is like making a list to give to Santa Claus, if you think that's what prayer is, then most likely you're not going to be devoted to prayer. If that's your idea of prayer, here this morning, you need to hear that prayer is more than just getting what you want or what you think you need, that it's more of a gift from God given to us so that we would know him better. That we would won't know his desires, that we would know his wants for us, and that's a totally different deal. So they devote themselves to prayer in order to search out God.
God's will. But that's not all. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 15. It says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Skip down to verse 20. It says this, For it is written in the book of the Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection, and they put forward two. Did you catch it? Yes, they searched the scriptures. Yes, they devoted themselves to prayer. This next one, it's subtle, but it couldn't be more clear. How can we know the will of God? This is huge. They decide together. Verse 15 said the apostles were with about 110 others. This isn't something that, that Peter came to conclude on his own, especially Peter. I mean, have you, do you know Peter? Have you read the Gospels? This guy is like the the. the Carbon, like the picture, like the perfect picture boy of adult ADHD. That's who Peter is. So it would not be a wise idea for him to just bring forth an idea on his own. And no one's coming up here. None of the apostles bring forth a guy like, come on, guys, this, this, guy, this guy Doug, this guy that I met, you know, down by the river. <laughs> he's, he's a really good dude. And, and I've known him for a long time, and God told me last night that he was going to replace Jesus. Like, nobody's doing that. None of them get a fresh word from God like that. No, they do their homework. They do their due diligence. Hey, everyone, we've got to replace an apostle here. And Jesus didn't teach that to us, like how to go about doing that in the three years that he was with us and walking and talking and chilling with us for three years. So we've got to get some criteria here in how to actually pick the next apostle. And we've all got to be in agreement. And so whatever they all agree upon, whatever application process that is, they, they, they decide together. They seek out wise and godly counsel amongst the group, and they narrow it down to the pool of who can be an apostle, down to two guys, by consulting the scriptures, by praying, by seeking wise counsel amongst other like-minded, mature Christians. If you're searching what the will of God is, i got to ask you, have you ever asked other Christians for help? Have you? Do you know Solomon, who is the wisest guy who's ever lived? Solomon talked about seeking out wise counsel more than any other writer in all of Scripture. That should tell you something. You want to know what the will of God is in any given circumstance? It sounds like a great place to start. You search the Scriptures, you devote yourself to prayer, and you seek out wise and godly counsel. Amen? But that's not what we do all the time, is it? It's not what we do. You're willing to admit that here this morning that a lot of times we actually leap out in foolishness and call it faith. That we leap out in foolishness and call it faith. And then we blame God for not coming through. Now let me just say this. I don't know if that's simple. It probably is, but it's just dumb. It's just really dumb. And as a pastor, I hear stuff like this a lot. And I'm just going to step out in faith and trust God to do this thing, to, to let go and let God. And if you believe, you can achieve, you know, all this kind of stuff. Oh, did he now? 
Did he really say that? Have you, have you checked the Bible? Like, have you checked the scriptures? That'd be a great place to start because one of the things that's always true is that God wouldn't tell you something specifically different than what he's told all the rest of us in his word. I mean, that's first and foremost. And secondly, have you prayed about this to make sure that it actually is a word from God and not something you've made up or that the devil is tempting you with? Hello? And third, have, have you sought out wise counsel? Have you talked to anybody else in your life that God actually talks to? Because that might be another solid idea. My brother Dave was dating his then-girlfriend, now-wife, Michelle at the time. And Michelle's pastor came up to her while they were dating and said something like this. Like, this blows my mind. There's a pastor saying this to her. He's like, I've got, I got a fresh word from God to give to you, Michelle, about your relationship with David. Um, he told me that you got to stop seeing David. Because <clears throat> you guys, if you get married, you'll be unequally yoked. It's like how he approached it. Like, this is something that you really want to hear. And... <laughs> And he said the reason that he thinks they'd be unequally yoked is because, like, <laughs> like my brother Dave's a Lutheran pastor, and he's, he's like, he's a Lutheran, you're a charismatic. There's no way you guys could be compatible in marriage. It's like, you'd be unequally yoked. And she's like, whatever, dude. Like, that's just a weird interpretation of scripture. And like, you're just, you're not, that's not a word from God. Like, that's just totally not a word from God. It's not an interpretation of scripture to see anywhere in scripture. And so she sought out wise godly counsel from other people. And man, I am so glad that they actually got together. Man, they've been married 23, 24 years, had two wonderful kids. Michelle's awesome. And we're so glad to have her in our family. But God told me to quit my job. God told me to quit my job and to move out of the state. And I'm just going to trust him. Now, God might have told you to do that. He may have. You may need to step out of faith and trust him in that journey. You, but you better do your due diligence first. Are, are you chasing after your dream job, knowing full well that it will be a financial nightmare for your family, which God says you need to provide for first? Or have you done your due diligence? Have you worked it out biblically and prayed and sought godly counsel from others? But I love him. I love him. I want to marry him. He's so good looking, and I want his babies real bad. <laughs> really? Really, I don't care. Do your own work. The Bible is clear what you should be looking for in a guy. Don't just be a fool and rush in, placing in all the outcomes on God. That's not how it works. That's just plain stupid. So you want to know what the will of God is? Do your homework. Do your due diligence, because the apostles serve you. Look at verse 23. It says, and they put forward two, called, one called Joseph Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. Now, is it just me? Is it just me? But the, the dude's got three names here. Three names. Sounds a little fishy. Sounds a little shady. Am I the only one? When I read this, I'm just confession time again. Immediately went to like, dude's name, got three names. Like that's, he's an assassin. That's an assassin. <laughs> Assassins have three names. I immediately went to John Wilkes Booth. Like Lee Harvey Oswald. I just went there in my mind. So this guy sounds a little fishy. Joseph Barsabbas Justice. But somehow he passes the test. His three Facebook accounts. So they pick this guy, and also a guy named Matthias. And after they search out the general will of God, and after they pray for God's specific revelation, and after they consult with one another, and after they narrow it down to two guys, guess what verse 24 says they do? 
Again, they are in charge of picking the 12th apostle, and I know you're facing really hard decisions in your life. Some are really impossible, some are really confusing. But this is a really big deal here. This is a huge decision that has a mega impact moving forward. And verse 24 says they prayed again. Church, do not underestimate the power of prayer. James 4.2 says you have not. Why? Because you ask not. So let's look at their prayer. What do they pray? Verse 24. It says, and they prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take this place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for him. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Do you know what lots are? It seems so strange to me. That's such a big decision. It's, it's a game like dice. Can you believe this? That's how they chose the next apostle. After all of that, the fate of the next apostle was on chance? Or was it? By the way, do you know that's how Brandon and the elders hired me here? <laughs> and a couple of people, and a lot felt like you're going to really feel safe sending your kids to me on Monday. But that's, that's what we see. Seriously, was it all up to chance? Was it? No. Why? Because they searched the scriptures, they were rooted in prayer, they consulted wise godly counsel. In other words, they did as Proverbs 4 7 encourages us. They got wisdom. They got wisdom. They did their homework. They trusted God for the outcome. That's why, gang, if you do your due diligence, you've got to hear this. If you do your due diligence, I don't think that you can mess up with the choices that you need to make because there's freedom. There is absolute freedom where there isn't direct clarity in Scripture. Was Matthias the will of God? Yup, 100%. Would the three-named guy have been just a good of choice? Do you think Joseph or Sabbath's justice never spread the word of God after that? Do you think he was so ticked off that he wasn't chosen that he just turned his back and left the church and left the faith altogether and preached against it? No way. Do you think Joseph Barsabbas justice could have been in the will of God? Yes. But the apostles had such peace about it because of the wisdom they gleaned from on high that whatever the way the dice was cast, they firmly believed God was sovereign over it all. Whoa. So in closing here this morning, typically when we have a big decision to make or a hard decision to make, we freak out, don't we? We get anxious, we get scared, and part of the reason that happens to you and to me is because we're afraid to mess up. Everybody willing to admit that? Yeah, see some hands. And part of the reason that happens to you is because you're afraid to mess up, and so am I, that somehow we'll act outside of the will of God, and that God is just waiting and ready to pounce on us the moment we do. And I'm telling you, the most of the time we freak out is because we really don't trust God and his sovereignty, and most importantly, we really don't trust his ways. Man, the Bible has a lot of verses about anxiety and about worry, and we don't have time to go into that, but they're just so blunt and they're just so to the point. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, don't be anxious about anything. What, Paul? Are you kidding me? Don't be anxious about anything? Like, if, you, if that's all he said, we'd be... You'd be so frustrated. That's so exhausting because there's so much to be anxious about. But then he goes on to write this, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with 
Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So maybe you're here this morning and your life is all messed up and you're thinking your, your life is so jacked up because you've just been living like a fool outside of the will of God, the revealed will of God for you. That your priorities are all out of whack and you fail too many times for God to take you back. If that's you here this morning, you think you're beyond the reach of God, let me tell you, then your idea of God is too small. Your idea of God is too small. Isaiah 5, 9, uh, 59, rather, verse 1 says that the arms of God are not too short to save. I love that verse. He has long arms, and his salvation and his grace and his mercy, they are not far off. They have a long reach, and they can grab us whatever path we take, whatever decisions we make, no matter how foolish and how sinful they may be, there is no amount of sin in this world that you can commit that God cannot forgive. Believe that. Believe that. If that's you here this morning, you need to know that God had the entire world in his hands. And that's including you. So maybe today God has you here in this place by his grace to hear the gracious invitation of our Lord in 1 Peter 5, 7, where we read, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Yes, even the anxieties that you have about him and his reactions to you because of the amount of sin in your life, cast that upon him. I'm telling you, he's big enough to handle it all, and he is gracious enough to handle it all. James 1.5 is so awesome. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, we read this earlier, let him ask God who gives generously to all, and I love this part, without finding fault, and it will be given. Did you hear that? Without finding fault. That's the God that we worship here, the one who is calling you to come to him in faith today. So today, would you humbly admit that you forget what's true in the world? You do. Would you be willing to reevaluate your priorities once again here this morning? Would you confess that your values, they need to be clarified, not just today, each and every day. And thankfully, God has given us his word to remind us. He's provided us with direct access to the very throne room of God through prayer. And he has scattered godly people throughout our lives to gain wise counsel from time and time again. And on top of that, if that wasn't awesome enough, God has lavished us with grace upon grace, his enabling grace to choose the right priorities going forward, his forgiving grace in the times when we fail to do that, and perhaps my favorite part of his grace, that's the grace of future completion. Because Philippians 1.6 says this, and I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Emmaus wrote, there will be a day when you and I will see Jesus face to face. We will have our priorities Until then, remember Proverbs 4 7, the beginning of that wisdom. Heavenly Father, the will of God is a lot to ponder. From our sinful minds. 
from your perspective, it couldn't be more clear. And so draw us nearer to you today by the power of your word, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do the work of